1: It's over. The year-long season, 373 days in total, has come to a gutting conclusion. Manchester United are out of the Europa League. For Harry Maguire, this must have seemed all too familiar. Manchester United's captain tasted semi-final defeat with England at the 2018 World Cup, and it was a tale of wasted chances, a golden opportunity for a talented young side to finally lift silverware once again. And now, the same bitter taste of semi-final loss has returned, but this time at Manchester United, and on three separate occasions. It's been a season of of sprinkling of high points, smash and grab wins against City, goal-happy demolitions of many a Europa League opposition and runs of clean sheets and goal scoring that would have seemed impossible last year. And third place when in January it looked like it could be ninth or tenth. But ultimately, it's a third consecutive season without a trophy for Manchester United. That hasn't happened since the 1980s. It's not just a sign of a bad year, but it's the tell of an elite football club in trouble. Solskjaer looks like he's the right man to lift United out of their trophyless misery, but it took him until the 87th minute. To make changes as his team trailed in Cologne and it's clear that his options on the substitutes bench are, are poor to say the least but it's also too often the case that the game runs away from Solskjaer and United are unable to arrest the tide turning against them. Welcome back to the Manchester United weekly podcast as we review a, a really frustrating game. We'll be back next week with a, a full season review and a special episode on Mason Greenwood and at the end of this episode there's our regular extensive roundup of the latest news for the club's academy. But this time, um, we, we don't want to dwell on defeats too much. And we, as I say, we will be back with a full season review. Uh, but for this episode, we'll, we'll try something slightly different. Jack and I will both have the the opportunity to make three points, but we only have a sentence in which to do it. And the other will then have 30 seconds to agree or disagree with that point and and respond to it. Uh, so, so, Jack, we're both... Quite obviously frustrated by uh, a difficult one, but I'll start uh, one of the most frustrating games I can remember because of an inexplicably bad refereeing performance, poor finishing, a good defensive opposition, and a, an excellent goalkeeper for Sevilla, and a lack of good options off the bench for United.
0: Yeah, I couldn't agree more about how frustrating the game was to watch. What made it so frustrating was that we actually played well for large stretches of the game, especially the side of half time. We reacted. Very well to Sevilla equalising and played very well up to half time, and then the first 15 minutes after half time was honestly some of the best football I've I've seen United play all season. We were carving Sevilla open time and time again and just couldn't put the ball in the back of the net. We didn't capitalise on those good periods. And we were then punished for the mistakes that we did make and couldn't recover. And that, that's what happens at this level of football. If you make mistakes and don't take your chances, you get punished. Yeah,
1: absolutely. United had so many chances after the break. Uh, that, that seven minutes, kind of, from, from 45 to 52, Greenwood had that one-on-one, Martial had two or three, Rashford had a shot blocked, Fernandes had a shot blocked. And it. it well, once United hadn't scored in that period, you thought, yeah, we're, we're going to lose this game. Um, despite it being some, some really, really impressive attacking football, the, some clear, brilliant link-up play. Um, and I was listening to the Five Live commentary and Paul McGuinness, United's old under-18s manager, was saying this, this front line looks like it's a really well-trained front line because they've not been yeah. told exactly what they have to do. But he said they were well-trained because they they knew where each other was going to be um, and, and they knew what they could and couldn't do and they had that freedom to to, to play. I mean, we, um, we
0: were just saying before we recorded, I, I think this is the best we've played since before the Southampton game. And that's what makes this loss so frustrating because it's not like we played badly and just never even had a hope in hell of getting through. We played well enough to win that game and we just didn't get over the line. But for my first point... Uh, United sat back on the edge of our own box as soon as we went ahead until Sevilla scored. We were just sitting deep waiting for them to attack us. Does this team have a mentality problem of knowing how to protect a lead when we go ahead early in a game?
1: Yeah, it's a a strange one because... It, it's, it's always this weird question where you think is, is that the team or is that the, the, the manager's decision to, to tell them to sit back and I think Solskjaer has been guilty of that uh, too often. It, it's hard to tell whether it's the manager or it's the team. Uh, whichever one it is, it, it, it's, it's quite obviously a, a problem and it happened so many times under Mourinho uh, and under Van Hal before that United would take that lead and then sit back and, and and throw it away because it was kind of that 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 you we've we've had that sense of inevitability so many times where we go ahead and then we we just wait for teams to come on to that. And it was exactly the same again.
0: I, I would argue it's more a mentality problem than coming from Solskjaer because of the way we responded as soon as Sevilla equalised. I, I I simply don't think that any coach would yeah. require and ask his team to make such a massive change in the way they play from being so defensive to them being very fluent and very good in attack just because they equalise. I, I refuse to believe that Solskjaer would try and set us up like that, especially that early on in the game, which is why I think it comes from the players. I think it's a mental block yeah. that they're almost afraid to take risks once they go ahead.
1: Yeah, it's a, it's an interesting one, but if, I, I, I guess the only person who can fix that is still the manager. So it, it
0: has to yeah. be his job. He needs to instil that mentality in them are that you need to not be afraid to take those risks yeah. you have to still play the same way
1: yeah and if he, if he sees it not happening then he has to be on the touchline forcing it to happen and, and to get United to get that second goal because we we had the the great luxury and benefit of an early goal which which changes these games massively um, and, and for example would have changed the Copenhagen game and, and you would think if United got an early goal yeah. in that one then they would have strolled to victory Um but they didn't take advantage of it again against Sevilla and, and, and really paid the price um, when it came to the end. Uh, right, I'll go for for my second point, which is just the biggest culprits of the lost, um, and I would say the the back four.
0: I have to disagree on that one. Yes, they made mistakes. They made very very big mistakes, especially for the second goal. But we created more than enough chances to win that game, even with those mistakes. So for me, I think the forwards have to take the responsibility for not taking a single one of those chances, especially at the second half. You know, Sevilla's, Sevilla's two goals were realistically the only two chances, clear-cut chances they had in the, in the entire game. I think the reason why I'd put this more on the, on the forwards is that we could and should have still won those games, even while having those defensive mistakes. But once we made those mistakes going forward where we didn't finish our chances, there's no way we can win that game.
1: Yeah, yeah, I, I, I agree. And and the forwards have to take some of the blame and, and the finishing wasn't good enough. But I think we were faced with uh, an opposition who who knew how to frustrate the attackers, but also knew how to crowd the penalty area and a goalkeeper who made a, a, a few really good saves. Now, Greenwood and Martial both should have scored their chances. But in contrast, we came up against an attack that wasn't particularly good and still conceded too. And, I, and and you say the only the two only clear cut chances are the game for Sevilla, well, in which case you, you, you cannot be conceding from both of them and the the lack of concentration from Wambasaka um who just let Luke De Jong past him uh for the second goal the mispositioning from from Wambasaka from Williams the poor passes from Maguire Williams Lindelof all of them was was not unforgivable because things are never really unforgivable within football, but was was a serious part of the reason for losing that game. And and whereas the forwards had a, a good set of defenders against them, a well trained team, I don't think Severe's attack was good enough for us to be conceding twice.
0: No, and listen, they, the goal came from mistakes that we should have rectified and, and shouldn't have happened in the first place. As you said Juan Busaca is absolutely sleeping at the back post. I don't know why Lindelof was getting slaughtered for that second for that second goal. That's all on Wampasaka, the youngest, his man, and he was never goal-side of him in the build-up yeah. at all. But uh, like I said, I think I look at this more as, rather than maybe what were the worst mistakes, which I think you could probably put on the back four, say what really led to us losing that game. And we could easily have recovered from making those mistakes that led to severe scoring two goals. If we had some decent finishing, you know, if we take... Yeah. Even one out of those four or five guilt edge chances that we had, we at least take it to extra time. And you take two of them. You know, I can off the yeah. top of my head, Fred had a great opening in the, in the first half before Sevilla scored their first goal. You know, uh, Martial had two one on ones in the space yeah. of a minute. Fernandez has a, had a shot block that he probably should have put in. Greenwood had a one on one. We score one of those, we take it to extra time. And then those defensive mistakes don't it, suddenly look as big as they were. Yeah.
1: Right. Your your second point.
0: Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. Reacted far too late after Sevilla scored their second
1: goal. Yeah, I I can't disagree with that. And it's, it's this, it's, yeah, you've got this conundrum where the, the, the the options off the bench are clearly not good enough. But when you come to a European semi final, that's, that's not, that's not good enough. Um, You you can't just blame that. And you look at the, the PSG comeback against um, Atalanta in the Champions League less than a week ago. And and Chupo Moteng, who who I think people were laughing at when they brought him on to try and save the game. Well, he helped them to to turn it around and and, and beat Atalanta and get into uh, into the Champions League semi final. So you you can't. Yes, United need better options off the bench, but still, it shouldn't take that long.
0: Yeah, and I think that I I actually completely sympathise with Solskjaer on this one because I know that the options we have off the bench are not great, especially in attack. And that's why I, I wasn't critical of him for waiting so long to make a substitution when the game was still at 1-1 because you could see that we were getting quite lethargic, but he didn't really have anyone to bring on in that situation. But when you're 2-1 down with 10 minutes left in a European semi-final, you have to just throw hell, to leather, hell for leather and throw caution to the wind and put on anyone that we can that can make yeah. a difference. You know, Go to a back three, bring on Igalo, bring on Matter, And even the subs that he did make, I understand you still have to you know, keep a few midfielders and a few defenders on the pitch, but... Bringing Rashford and Greenwood off yeah. for those subs, I just it didn't really make sense to me. Like I said, I'd, I'd honestly much rather lose two nil going for it than lose one sort nil. Of still being a bit cautious, it doesn't make any difference to the out to the outcome.
1: Yeah, yeah, I agree that. Yeah, it was the thing that you, you're waiting for these subs to happen, and when they did, you thought what are you, are Dan James on for Mason Greenwood yeah the chance it's going to fall to one of those two <laughs> then then there's there is no debate about who you'd rather it to fall to and, and look Greenwood missed a really good chance in the at the start of the second half but you would still trust him to finish something when it came to the 88th 89th minute yeah whereas you wouldn't do the same with Dan James who needs space in which to work and the one thing that there wasn't at that time was space um so yeah it, it's just,
0: right and and I listen I, I understand that probably none of those subs would have changed the game and they still would have only had 10 minutes to to come on but that does make a big difference than just you know bringing on Igalo in the 87th minute you know it does make a well, big, big make a big difference I,
1: I, Igalo could have made a difference this is a guy who's who's come up big when yeah. United you know, have needed him before scored five goals um and and he's a very different option and and you could have put Rashford was too tired and too frustrated. I think he, he did have to come off, but he could have shifted Martial out to the left, give him some space, let him come deep and then start dribbling, which he did start to do, yeah. to be fair. Which is, yeah, exactly, and which then, he did
0: eventually. And then, yeah,
1: then leave Egalo in the box and, and let him get onto, get onto some crosses. Um, I mean, the crossing was, was really poor all throughout the game anyway. Um, so th- yeah, there was so much to be frustrated by that. So th- th- the poor finishing can't really be blamed upon Solskjaer but the the substitutes is, is something I think we've complained about all throughout his time at United and it's it's been what yeah, eight, 18 months 19 months now um and it, it's something that that has to improve right I'll go to my final point um the, the referee was woeful and I I really do mean this it was it was such a bad referee in performance not just because so many of the decisions were wrong but he the game was still a good game, but i think he ruined it as a spectacle it could have been it could have been far better he, he basically his poor decisions encouraged the players to to cheat and to to dive and to to beg for bookings and to pretend it was their throwing when it wasn't and and that's the worst kind of referee anyway My point is that united should have coped with that. And instead, Rashford was throwing balls at the ground. Greenwood drifted out of the game. Williams picked up a needless yellow, etc, cetera, etc. Cetera. You, you could see the frustration on the players' faces. and I, I get it. I can't imagine anything more frustrating than trying to get back into a game and having this terrible ref overseeing things. But it does show that this is still a young United team and, and one that has lots to learn.
0: Yeah, we are still a young team. And this is a team that's shown plenty of times before this season that we are capable capable of dealing with adversity. You know, the throw-in that went their way incorrectly before their first goal, yeah, we can, we can blame the referee and it was a terrible decision and I still think it's ridiculous that VAR can't be used on that, you know, when it's so clearly a game-changing moment. But at the same time, I literally went back and watched it and timed it right before we started recording. There's 21 seconds between that throw coming in and Sevilla putting the ball in the back of the net. And in that time... We let Sevilla go from their defense all the way to their attack, so it can't it can't be an excuse. We have to learn to deal with that better. This is a young team; they will learn, but I think this is a good example that that learning needs to come quickly. Yeah,
1: I think it, it was interesting as well to see to see Greenwood, who um, I, I, obviously I've, I've watched him for for a long time, and and this isn't kind of a weakness you'd normally pick up on in the youth teams because he wouldn't have to do this, but his. There was just a couple of moments where he lost concentration and, and didn't help out wan enough. And that, Wan-Bissaka had a, a truly, really bad game. Yeah, um, he but he could have been helped more by, by Greenwood, who... It, it wasn't that he wasn't tracking back. It was that there'd be a loose ball and he'd take just half a second too long to think, oh, this is my job to, to go and get that ball and to help him out. And uh, that that's certainly something that I, I think that the coach will be working on with him. Um, right, your final point. This
0: is a, a little bit less about this game in particular, and a sort of more general point. This fan base has become far too divided and toxic to a point where there's absolutely no nuance in anything they said. You criticise Oli on one thing and suddenly you're said to be blaming him for everything that's bad about Manchester United. Yeah. And you blame the players for one thing and suddenly you're told, you're said to be looking for any excuse you can find to defend Ole Gunnar Solskjaer.
1: Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, the the thing I think about this is, I I think football fans have always had this, this kind of thing in a way. Um, And and Twitter as a, as a social platform has always been responsible for kind of highlighting that and and maximising it. And, I think, particularly over the last season, I've I've paid less and less attention to um, what people I I don't know say on Twitter, or at least I've made an effort to. And it's Twitter isn't a fair representation of football fans or of real people. You can see that within within politics or or any of any any sector, um, and it applies in football as well. And I think in the actual fan base, whether it be the match going fan base uh can be really divided at times as well and certainly is. But also just the kind of not match going fan base, but also not tweeting fan base who who watch from the, the comfort of their own homes, but uh at every right as much uh, United fans as, as everyone else. And I think there's there's more nuance within that that particular section. So it's um yeah, there they Twitter breeds toxicity within football fans and I think it's I think it's worth reminding yourself that it's not really what's what's going on in the world but it's yeah it it is this this weird it's like it, it brings me back to the the Jadon Sancho thing we spoke about this with the in the in the transfer episode we did there's so much to this Jadon Sancho transfer that i i don't think i don't think it it will happen but there's there's so much that you can't just say united have done a terrible job because they haven't signed him because there's there's so much going on with it um and united should sign him and, and they should be able to do that. But there's a, there's so many factors. And I think it, it's the same kind of thing as when we lose, there's a sudden reversion back to, oh, we need a director of football right now. Um, and and yeah, United probably do need a director of football. Yeah. But there's there's nuance to that as well, because Mike Phelan kind of plays a, a bit of that role. John Murtaugh plays a bit of that role. Uh, Nicky Butt helps out in that kind of role. So not everything has to be the same as other clubs and, and there is always nuance that was certainly longer than 30 seconds but <laughs> <laughs> there we go
0: yeah I, I just I just think our fan base it, it feels a little bit like the Mourinho days at the moment in terms of back then it was so much it was all either Mourinho's finished he can't manage a team anymore he's, he, you know, he needs to go now or it was yeah. the squad is terrible no manager in the world would do well with this squad look at the players yeah. look at how badly the the mistakes they're making and it, both of those things can be true maybe not to like the extremes that i just took that but you know it can both be true that this squad is not good enough and that Ole Gunnar Solskjaer is not a top tier manager and not and i think more importantly not the finished article as a manager just as we hope the yeah. players can improve and develop so can solsha as a manager and i think that's important I think it's it's just yeah. it's become too. Everyone's just searching for, for either a black or a black and white answer, and it's not like that. There is so much nuance. There are so many things going on here that it's just it's so frustrating. Going on Twitter immediately after the game and seeing this is all on the players. Oh, he can't take a shred of blame here. Anyone blaming them is an idiot. Oh, this is all on Solskjaer. Why didn't he make subs? Igaro would have scored four goals. You know, it's just there, there is yeah. some nuance there. And as we've said, I think we've we've touched on this episode both the players and Solskjaer have things to answer for in this game
1: yeah yeah I think that's something we'll we'll explore more um, next week when we do a a full season review of, of the Premier League the uh, the Europa League, the FA Cup, uh, uh, the League Cup. There, there, a lot happened in this season, so, so yeah. we won't be able to go, go through everything. We need hours and hours and hours. Um, and I guess we have provided hours and hours and hours over the quarter of the season. Um, but yeah, we'll, we'll, be, we'll be back next week with a, a full season review. Uh, Jack, you need to get back to work. Um, <laughs> but for more for, from you throughout the week on Twitter, uh, where can people find you?
0: Yeah, the perks of working from home. I can actually record this during (laughs) the day. (laughs) Find me on Twitter at utdtait, and I hope my boss wasn't listening to that.
1: (laughs) And uh, (laughs) stick with me for the next five minutes because there's there's more to come with a a big old update on the club's youth sides just after this short break. Hi, everyone. Just a quick pointer to the direction of our sponsors, Manscaped. They are the best in men's below-the-belt grooming. They offer precision-engineered tools for your family jewels, and they've just launched in the UK, originally coming from the US. The Manscaped engineering team has created the greatest ball hair trimmer ever created and just released a new and improved lawnmower 3.0 in the UK. It's got a cutting-edge ceramic blade designed to reduce manscaping accidents, a 90-minute battery, and it's water-resistant with a cool LED light to illuminate grooming areas for the most precise trim it's all premium the design the feel the packaging it comes looking nice and it makes certain other areas look nice speaking from personal experience there um so if you want to support the podcast uh, your balls will thank you at the same time um you can get 20 percent off and free shipping by using our code utd weekly pod that's utd weekly pod with pod at the end there you can use that code at manscape.com and when you get to the checkout, stick that in and you'll be supporting the podcast to keep putting out the content we do and getting 20% off and free shipping at manscaped.com. Right, back to the show. Sorry for the interruption. Right, time for a uh, pretty extensive youth update from the last week in the news of, of Manchester United Academy. Um, firstly, just some quick updates on on former United Academy players. The the Players we call academy graduates um, who have joined other clubs or, or being linked to other clubs. Tyler Blackett, who you may remember from the Louis van Gaal era, he has joined Nottingham Forest on a permanent deal. DJ Buffons has joined NAC Breda in the Netherlands. Tosin Kahinde has, is being linked with Randers in Denmark. Kieran O'Hara, the uh, Irish goalkeeper, is being linked with Swindon and Shrewsbury. He's had trials at both clubs there. Demi Mitchell, the left back, another one who was given his debut by Jose Mourinho. Um, uh, just one game for United, but he's left United this summer and he's on trial at Sunderland at the moment. And Ben Hockenall, a young defender, has joined Brentford B. In perhaps more exciting news, some some news of, of friendlies for the youth side. So United lost Salford City in their first pre-season game. Mark Helm scored the only goal, a really brilliant free kick um, from uh, just probably five yards outside the box you can watch that free kick that he scored on the Academy Man United Twitter page so go to Academy Man UTD to find that goal and the under-23s continue their pre-season schedule by playing Swindon on Tuesday and Morecambe on Saturday the under-18s meanwhile beat Preston North End 5-0 in a pre-season friendly goals came from the French Naam Emeram one from Rhys Bennett another from new signing from Sunderland Joe Hugo and the final one from Zidane Iqbal again you can watch a couple of the goals on the Academy Man United Twitter page uh, Loan news Teeth Chong has joined Werder Bremen on loan for the 2020-21 season He said This move is a great opportunity for me to develop I'm looking forward to next season The Bundesliga campaign gets started on September the 18th It should be a really good move for Chong uh, uh, An opportunity to get lots of first-team football against good opposition in a good team and, and a very good setup as well uh, Midfielder Aliu Traore has joined Kain on a season-long loan in France's Ligue 2 uh, Oliver Denham has been linked with City. We're not sure if that's going to be a loan or a permanent move. If it does happen, both are possible. And in transfer news, Manchester United have been linked with Partizan Belgrade's Filip Stevanovic, a 17-year-old Serbian winger. He actually came off the bench for Partizan against United in the Europa League group stages. and He's already played 42 times for Partizan at the age of 17. He scored nine goals and four assists. Lyon are interested as well, reportedly. Um, And it was a bit of a strange one, this, because reports came out about four days ago that said United had actually signed Stavanovic, um, I think for 12 million euros. Uh, that's now been denied by both United and Partizan whereas other people, including people at Partizan are saying it's true. Um, so we'll, we'll keep an eye on that one, a bit of a, a classic, crazy United transfer story, um, but we'll keep you updated on that. And finally, the under-21s they'll be playing in the EFL Trophy again. There'll be one match a month in September, October November before the knockout rounds begin in December and the draw for the group stages takes place on Tuesday at 1.30pm. You can listen to it live on TalkSport 2. Right, that's all we have time for on this episode of the Manchester United Weekly Podcast. Thank you as always for listening. Um, thanks for joining us and and have a great week. Um, enjoy the the lack of football. There has been a lot of it and if you're going to watch the Europa League continue and, and watch our former players probably lift it in the, the form of Ashley Young, Alexis Sanchez and Romelu Lukaku, then feel free to do so and enjoy that. Otherwise Will enjoy Manchester City not being in the Champions League final. For more from me throughout the week, you can find me on Twitter at Harry Robinson64. The podcast is at UTD Weekly Pod, that's P O D, at the end there. The same code you can use to get 20% off and free shipping at manscaped.com, our sponsors. Thanks for listening. Have a good week. Goodbye.